0: I think it's super important the question that we're gonna to ask today. And and one of the things that makes me ask the question is is a survey done by the Barner Group a couple of years ago in 2016. The Barner Group identified that 73% of Americans identify as Christian. Right? If you were to to mark down on the census card or just ask them what what faith do you have, 73% of Americans would say I'm Christian. What's interesting is that there are also tons and tons and tons of studies that have been done by Barna and others who look at the lives of Americans, both who say they are Christian and who do not, that say really in our day-to-day lives, the two groups don't look very different, right? The choices that that Christians make actually don't look very different from non-Christians. People who say they follow Jesus... Their marriages are about the same. Their sexual behavior is about the same. Their giving, their commitment to charitable causes, the amount of community service they do. It's really not that much different from people who have no affiliation with a church or a faith, which is like a little bit discouraging, right? As people who follow Jesus, and we believe that Jesus offers a different way of life that is better Jesus commands us to live differently, right? 73% of us say we follow Jesus, yet a lot of us don't look any different from anybody else. And so, so that makes me ask a really scary, not fun question. And that is, does Jesus actually change people? Right? And that's like one of those questions like you probably shouldn't ask in church, Does Jesus actually change people's lives? But if I look at the world around us and I say, well, a majority of the people in in this country, at least, say that they follow Jesus, why does this country not look different? Why does our world not look different if, if we say we're following Jesus? Does Jesus actually change lives? And it's, an, it's a really important question to ask in the midst of this series that we're doing, Back to Basics. And, and in this, for the last couple weeks and, and today and next week, we're gonna, we're gonna ask, what is, what is the most basic elementary expression of our faith? As people who say we follow Jesus, what does that mean? What, what should our lives look like? What, what does the Christian life look like? How would we describe it? And, and if we look at the life of Christ, the way that Jesus spent his time and relationships and energy, what we find out is that the primary thing he did while he taught, he healed, he he spoke, he prayed, he did all sorts of stuff. Almost all of it was done in the context of making disciples, right? All of it was done with witnesses that followed him around and, and shared a few years of their life with him. And he spent so much work and energy investing into the people who were following him around, his disciples. And then he commanded them to go and make other disciples. Right? Jesus spent his time making disciples. He commanded others to make more disciples who would then make more disciples. And you and I are here because at some point, somebody was faithful to that command over and over and over again. And so if we want to be followers of Christ... We should be about the things Jesus is about. And the thing that Jesus was about was making disciples. And so we should care about what it means to be disciples. And the definition of a disciple that we have been using, there are tons of definitions. This comes directly from the invitation that Jesus gives to some of his first disciples. It's in Matthew four nineteen, And Jesus just says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? And directly from that definition, trying not to make it too complicated, we see Jesus says, follow me. And so a disciple is first someone who is following Jesus. Right? And then last week, we talked about how following Jesus is not just a, a one-time decision. Right, It's something that we decide over and over again. It's a continual uh, a direction that we pursue, not just a destination that we get to at some point. Jesus says, come, follow me. And then he says, and I will make you. And so that idea that Jesus will make or transform or change those who follow him. So a disciple is to someone who is being changed by Jesus. And then Jesus says, and I'll make you fishers of men or fishers of people. And so there is a mission and a cause that Jesus is enlisting his followers into. And so the third thing that a disciple is is someone who is on mission with Jesus. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus. They are all three of those things. It's not pick two at Panera. It's not the value menu where you just decide like which ones you want. Like they're all, they're a part of the kit. A disciple is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and on mission with Jesus. And again, last week we looked at what does it mean to follow Jesus, and this week we're going to look at what does it mean to be changed by Jesus. And that's where it's really important to ask the question, does Jesus actually change people? Right, and as we looked at this, there there are lots of... Of stories that, that we could have told from the, the gospels, right? There are all sorts of people who meet Jesus and it profoundly changes their lives, right? And so, whether that, that is physically, someone is sick and, and he's healed, um, if someone is, is socially changed, right, their status is marginalized and Jesus elevates them and gives them honor, if someone is spiritually broken and Jesus can, brings restoration and change, there are all sorts of people that encounter Jesus and have their lives changed. When you read through the Gospels, you you can't help but run into all these stories of people who are changed by Jesus. And so it would be really easy to look at one of those stories and and then sort of make this broad application of of how Jesus then needs to change our lives. But I don't think many of us doubt that, that Jesus changed people's lives in the Gospel. The question we walk away with is, does Jesus still change people today? Does Jesus really change people's lives? If I'm gonna be a disciple and part of that is being changed by Jesus, is he actually gonna change me? How do I find myself changed by Jesus? And I think more than looking at any one story, we're gonna look at a couple of stories to help us. There are two incredibly short stories in Matthew 13. And there are stories that, that you, you may have heard or you may have read right over them. And, and what they do is they reveal the problem, not just this idea that Jesus can change. Right? Because we all believe Jesus can change people, but, but do we really believe that? I think our problem, and we'll explain this more, is that we believe in Jesus, but we don't really believe in Jesus. All right, I'll say that again. I think, I think the problem with being changed by Jesus and why we don't see it as much as we think we should is that we believe in Jesus, but we don't really believe in Jesus. And so there's two stories that Jesus tells in Matthew 13 that I think are super helpful. And so if you brought your Bible with you, you got your app, you can go ahead and you can go to, to Matthew 13. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. It's written by a guy named Matthew who told the story of Jesus' life as he experienced it. And in this chapter, Jesus is telling story after story after story that we call parables. And a parable is is a story that is used, um, it uses real world examples to convey a spiritual meaning. And so Jesus is, is telling stories that sound familiar, that seem very concrete to the world around the people he's telling them to, so that he can then reveal an abstract spiritual reality. Irish theologian I. Howard Marshall says that parables are mirrors that Jesus holds up to our world and in the reflection we see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is telling these stories one after another and he's describing what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in verse 44, he starts with these two small stories. Three verses, he tells two stories. We're going to go ahead and read them together. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That's it. Three verses, four sentences, two stories. Jesus tells them back to back. And really, they sound kind of the same. There are similar words used in each story. They both have to deal with buying and selling. And so we we read these stories, and we think, yeah, they're pretty simple. We get it. And we read one, and and really, we kind of like just read that one because the second one sounds just like it, and we move over it. But there would be a huge mistake in just reading these stories and getting through them. Because I really do believe that in these stories is part of the key to understanding Why don't we see life change happen? Right, so the first story, let's read it again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Right, so let's just imagine this story. There's a poor peasant man in, in Middle Eastern, first century Roman Empire. And he's working in a field, and for some reason he's digging, because somebody has probably told him that that's his job, is to dig in that area. And while he's digging, he discovers buried treasure. And that sounds like something that should be in a pirate book or a fairy tale, um, but it's a little bit more believable if you live in a day that doesn't have banks. Right, like most people did not have a bank that they went and put their money in their account and then used their debit card to sync with the the money in that account, right? Unless you were extremely wealthy and you could build fortitudes for your money, your bank was your house or a hole in your backyard. And so at some point, the owner of this land has buried his treasure in this field he definitely wouldn't have told this poor guy to go work and dig in that area if that's where he kept his treasure, but somehow he's forgotten. And so this this poor guy who's working discovers a fortune that the owner of the field doesn't know is there. And And he thinks to himself, this is better than anything I could ever get for myself. And so he goes out and he sells everything he has so that he can go trick the unsuspecting landlord into selling him this field. And he gets this field, and and we love this story because it makes sense to us, right? There's a transaction that is awesome for this guy, right? He has discovered the thing that he could never find for himself. It is way better than anything he has going, and the ROI, the return on investment, makes a lot of sense, right? If I can just sell everything I've got so that I can get this field, I will then have more than I ever had. And we read that, and we think, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the spiritual truth that Jesus is relaying. Because in reality, that, that's what happens with Jesus. There is an exchange that happens with us and Jesus that is very, very good for us. Right? We, we found ourselves as poor, broken, spiritually dead people who had a sin problem we could not fix ourselves. God entered our story as Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died a death he did not deserve that was ours to die. He did it in our place. He paid a penalty that we could never pay ourselves. And he rose from the dead and offers new life to you and me if we believe in him. That's an incredible deal. And so we read that story and it makes sense because we've heard that, right? There's a treasure that is better than anything we've got going. And so let's go and sell everything we have so that we can have the thing that we could never get for ourselves. That makes sense. The problem comes with the second story. And if you're like me, like for years, I read this story and I didn't think anything about it because I thought I'd gotten the message of the first one. But let's look at that second story that Jesus tells. Starting in verse 45. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, similar words, similar narrative. But let's stop and think just a minute about this guy who sells pearls for a living. He's a merchant of pearls. His life is spent assessing these beautiful little things that grow inside of oysters. And one day he finds the pearl, the the most amazing, incredible pearl he's ever set eyes on. And he decides he has to have it. Now to get that pearl, he has to go and he has to sell everything he has to afford it. But he does. And so he goes and he sells everything he has. He goes and he buys the pearl. And so now he has it. And what else does he have? What does he have? Nothing. He is now a homeless man with a really, really nice pearl. He has sold everything so that he could get this pearl, this incredibly valuable pearl. That he was willing to sell everything he had so that he could have. And now that he has it, he has nothing else. And how does that pearl get its value? How does that pearl become valuable again? He has to sell it. But if he sells the pearl, he now no longer has the thing that was worth selling everything to get. What do you do? That's a very, very different scenario than the first guy. Right? He would sell everything he had. Everything he had is secondary to getting that pearl. But in order to have that pearl, he now has nothing. And the only value it has is if he sells it. But then he's without the thing that he couldn't live without. See, when we look at these two stories, we really, really like the transaction that happens in the first one. We don't like the reality that comes with the second one. And that is at the crux of why we don't see Jesus change people's lives. Right? We like the narrative of the first story. We don't like the narrative of the second story. We like following Jesus because of what we receive from Jesus We don't like following Jesus when it requires us to give up everything. We can agree intellectually with the the exchange that happens, but we don't really like the physical happening of it. That's the problem that we find ourselves in, right? A lot of us, we like to follow Jesus as long as we tell him where we're going, Right? Jesus is valuable. He is the best thing. As long as we get what we want out of it. And the problem is that what we don't understand when we read this is what Jesus is really telling us about. We don't understand the full gospel. See, if we look at what Jesus actually said, what is he describing to people? He's not describing a ticket to heaven. He's describing the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying this is how the altar call works. He's saying this is how the kingdom of heaven works. What does he mean when he says kingdom of heaven? There's like a whole sermon series. But really, if we could boil it down Matthew uses this phrase over and over again throughout his gospel, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And what he's saying is that there is a certain way that the world works when God is in charge. And the way that the world works where God is intimately over everything is the kingdom of the heavens where God lives. Now, there are all sorts of kingdoms on earth. You have a kingdom as a a individual person. There is a sphere of influence you have. That is your little kingdom. And and some of our kingdoms are more impressive than others, but we've all got our little kingdom. And Jesus is saying, you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Let me tell you. And he tells these two stories along with a bunch of others. And so the kingdom of heaven is anywhere that is functioning the way things work with God right here among us. And what Jesus is saying, the good news that Jesus is describing before he ever went to the cross. Remember, at this point, Jesus has not died on the cross. Most of what Jesus says in the gospels is said before he dies on the cross. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of heaven, the way that God does things, is here. And it is available to you through me. He's saying, I am the way. I am life. I am the kingdom among you. And so when he invites us to follow him, he's not just inviting us to to a ticket to heaven at some point. He is inviting us to a completely different way of living. A kingdom that operates differently from any kingdom you've got going on. Now, he would make it fully accessible through his life, death, and resurrection. I don't want to diminish anything that Jesus did. But in this story, we got to be careful and remember that Jesus is inviting us to something way bigger than some destination somewhere. Jesus is inviting us to a completely different way of life. And to follow Jesus is to give up your way of life and take on his. Right? That's the exchange that happens. And it is a beautiful, wonderful, positive exchange for you. But it's not just about a destination. It is about trading a complete way of life. That's the pearl. We recognize the way of Jesus is so much better than any way I've ever seen. And so I will go and I will get rid of all of that if I could just have his way. Here are the things that stop us from really being changed. Right, there are three things that stand in the way. I said earlier that, that a lot of us, we believe in Jesus, but we don't really believe in Jesus, and that's the problem with why we don't see change. There are three things that we need if we actually want Jesus to change us. The first is that we really have to believe in Jesus. Second, we have to believe not just in him and his way, but we actually have to know his way. And the third is that we need other disciples to pursue the way of Jesus with. Right? I've got to actually believe that Jesus' way is best. I have to really know what Jesus' way is, and I need people to pursue it with. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by saying we actually have to believe in Jesus? Because I bet there's a lot of us in this room, most of us in this room, we would say we believe in Jesus. But I can know something to be intellectually true. I can believe something but not actually believe it. Here's what I mean. There's some of you, the last place that you would like to be with me is on an airplane, right? I'm fine. I'm fine with flying. There are a lot of you that are not fine with flying. And when you sit down next to me on the airplane and your heart rate is escalating and your blood pressure's out of control and you are trying to figure out what the heck you're gonna do when this whole thing blows up, um, I can tell you, I'm not a physicist, but I understand the physics of flight enough to explain to you that because of Bernoulli's principle, there's a curved wing and it's set at a certain angle. And when we go forward, air is gonna move a lot faster over the top of it than it does underneath it. And that creates lift. And so as long as this plane is moving forward with the wing shaped the way it is, it's gonna go up and it's not gonna fall down. Flying is actually really, really safe. Because physics doesn't ever change. right? And there there are very basic fundamental things that make that giant piece of aluminum stay in the air. And you're way more at risk in your car than you are on that airplane. And I can say all of those things to you and you can nod your head in agreement. And you don't disagree with a single thing that I've said. But you don't believe me. It doesn't change anything about the way that you actually handle that situation. Because really, underneath everything, there is a much greater fear that you hold to that is, I'm going to die. Does that make sense? I can believe something is intellectually true. That doesn't mean that I believe it. And there is so much of following Jesus that is stuff that we would intellectually agree to, but we don't really Believe. Jesus says that we should forgive, that we shouldn't be angry. And we all agree that's right. Forgiveness is better, anger is not good. But then there's this person in our lives that we just need to hold on to the frustration and the bitterness and the anger. And we can't let go of that because we don't really believe that forgiveness is better. Jesus says you shouldn't be controlled by anything but God. And we believe that. We acknowledge that. We can all nod our heads. And yet we live out in our life being controlled by the opinions of others. How many likes or shares something gets? What we're eating, what we're not eating, what we look like in front of a mirror, what my latest evaluation said about me, those are the things that control us because we have our identity wrapped in them. We can agree with Jesus that we shouldn't be controlled by that, but we don't really, really believe that. Jesus talks about money and greed more than he does about heaven. And we can believe intellectually that money is not the most important thing, that security is not the thing that should drive our lives. Yet every day we're concerned how much is in the bank account? Are we going to be okay to retire? Do you have what I need? Enough examples to make you feel uncomfortable? I, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that pointing a finger. That is my life as a disciple of Jesus. It is the life of every disciple. Is finding out what are all the ways that Jesus says we do things differently and figuring out which ones do I really not believe. And when I do identify it, when I find out an area that I don't really believe Jesus, I don't really take him at his word on that, I now have my next step to pursue. Because what I do firmly believe is that Jesus is better than anything I've got going. That's the decision that I made when I wanted to follow Jesus is that his way is better than mine. And so being changed starts with recognizing all the ways that I need to change. And it starts foundationally with ideas, right? Because if I've made the decision that Jesus's way is the best way, that following Jesus is the best, the next thing that I have to know, the second thing I said, we have to know what Jesus's way is. Right? If you want to follow Jesus' way, you actually have to know what Jesus' way is. And where do we find what Jesus' way is? The place we find it is in the words of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first four books of the New Testament. They're all first-hand accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. In a lot of Bibles, everything Jesus says is is in red. Those are the words of Jesus. That's the way of Jesus. And while there's not a a prescriptive word for every single scenario you will encounter, he does touch at everything your heart and mind have to wrestle with. The words of Jesus offer life. Life. And so the goal of of being changed by Jesus is not to become Jesus. It's not to have every word he said memorized. The goal of being changed by Jesus is to do your life the way Jesus would do your life if he was you. I'll say that again, maybe a little bit differently to help. The goal is not for you to become Jesus, Right? You can't live the life Jesus lived. You are not a first century nomadic carpenter. The life he lived was beautiful and it was perfect and it was awesome, but it's not going to be lived by anybody else ever again. Jesus does not want you to become him. Jesus wants you to live your life the way he would live your life. Jesus doesn't want you to just just go to, to Africa or Asia and become a missionary because those are the only people that are serious about him. Jesus doesn't want you to become a pastor because those are the people who are really serious about him. No, Jesus wants to transform the kind of accountant you are. What would it look like for Jesus to be an accountant? That's what I want to be. What would it look like for Jesus to be a husband, a wife, a mother, a father? How would Jesus do that? What's his way of doing it? And then how do I follow that? That is being changed by Jesus. If you read three chapters a day, in the next month you'll go through every gospel. Read a chapter a day and in the next month you'll be through Matthew And following Jesus is not just about reading your Bible. But I promise you, if you want to follow Jesus and you don't know the way of Jesus, you're going to be frustrated. You need to believe his way is best, you need to know what his way is, and you need other disciples to pursue him with. Right? And that's what we hope life groups are here at City Church. Right, groups of people meeting together to study God's word and ask, man, do I really believe this? And if I did, if I really believed this, what in my life would look different? Then how do we do that together? It, it's not a, a, a magical, mystical, um, crazy experience. It's people sitting together and saying, hey, we've made a decision that we want to pursue Jesus' way because his way is the best. What does that look like? What does that look like in my life? What does that look like in your life? Because in reality, Jesus did not call anybody to follow him in isolation, there was always a group following him. Jesus didn't call people to just gain knowledge. Right, It is good to listen to sermons. It's good to be in classes. We had this amazing turnout for Jeff's class, how to have an, uh, an enjoyable devotional life. And that's great. But if knowledge isn't accompanied by relationship, we won't go very far. God created us for relationship. Jesus calls people to follow him in relationship. If I were to ask you, what are the five most life-changing sermons you've ever heard? I would be really impressed if you could come up with five. I would be beyond belief if you could tell me the three main points of those sermons. But if I asked you who are the five most influential people in your life, you'd start rattling them off. God uses relationships to transform us. And a community of relationships that are focused on asking what is Jesus's way and how do I do that? It is an incredible community to be a part of. If you do not have a community of disciples that you are pursuing Jesus with, you need one. And just so happens, here in October, we've got a way for you to join one if you don't. Uh, we're calling it Group Connect and it happens October 11th, 18th, 25th. It's 3 weeks in a row. And we're just going to meet for an hour and a half, and you're going to show up with other people who have not joined a life group either. They're wanting to start a group. And so you're not hopping in on on years of inside jokes and friendships that you're on the outside of. You're not showing up to a random person's house. Come to a place you know, time is agreed upon. You need childcare, we'll take care of that. Whatever excuse you've got for not being able to make one, we want to take it away. And we want you to be here for three weeks. And you'll get to meet other people who are trying to ask themselves, how do I follow Jesus? At the end of three weeks, you'll figure out when you guys want to meet, what time, and, and what your childcare situation is and all that, but but you should give it a shot. Because God uses relationships, God uses community to help us pursue Him. Back to those two stories, real quick. Treasure and the Pearl. Following Jesus is both of them. It's not either or. You see the first guy, he went out with joy and he sold everything he had so that he could get that treasure. Jesus is not interested in making you hate your life. Jesus is not interested in, in fighting you over every little thing that you want to hold on to. Right, that's where the pearl comes in. He says, no, 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 your, your whole way of doing it, that's the thing you gotta get rid of. Because my way is so much better. And I promise you, this isn't dragging you, kicking and screaming towards something that you're gonna be miserable in. This is you being invited into a life that is full of hope and joy and love and peace that you never imagined. I'm inviting you to a purpose that you don't have on your own. I'm inviting you to not just see your life transformed, but the entire world. It's the best offer you've got, and you should take it. And that's the invitation that he makes to his disciples. That's the invitation that he makes to everybody. Come, follow me, and I will change you. That journey starts with a decision to say, You want that. It doesn't instantly mean perfection. It doesn't mean that everything changes overnight. It just means that you are now one of those people that is saying, I want to give over my way so that I can get your way. If you've not made that decision, you should. Follow Jesus. Let him change you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for inviting people like us to follow you. Jesus, I'm sorry for all the ways that I myself have not really believed you're the best. I pray for my friends here today that that we, we would have the courage to say, we really do believe in you. We really do believe you. God, may your kingdom come in our lives the way that it is in heaven. May we be people who are changed by you. Show us your way and give us the courage to pursue it. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen.